Welcome to the Penis Project podcast. This is the place to come to find out everything you've always wanted to know about men's health but were too embarrassed to ask. Join physiotherapist Dr. Joe Milios and sexologist nurse practitioner Melissa Hadley-Barrett as they talk to real men and the experts about men's private parts. Have a burning question you really want to know the answer to? Please subscribe to our website at thepenisproject.org and just ask us. The greater the length, while the greater the strength, the more time I've got for you. There's too much talking, texting, tweeting, posting. Too much noise altogether. In silence is strength and peace and space. Imagine silence forever. The Penis Project podcast is proudly supported and sponsored by PROST, Exercise for Prostate Cancer, and the RS Health Penile Rehabilitation Program. PROST is a not-for-profit charity set up by myself in 2012 that aims to help men exercise during their experience with prostate cancer. If you want to know anything more about PROST, including our online service and USB product now available, please just go to prost.com.au. Hi, I'm Melissa Hadley-Barrett and I designed the Penile Rehabilitation Program to help men recover from prostate cancer. It's an online program built on decades worth of knowledge and experience and practice. It's the only one of its kind in the world and it actually works. So if you've been diagnosed with prostate cancer and want to get your penis working again as quickly as possible, and why wouldn't you, then visit penilerehabilitationprogram.com and you'll be off and running. And it only takes about 15 minutes a day. All the best with your recovery, which I promise will never be as bad as you think. November 11, 11am, 60 seconds, kids watch on the wall. In the pub, in the tab, in the cars, we remember and wonder... Welcome to the Penis Project podcast. Today, we have Geordie Thompson. Now, Geordie is a clinical hypnotherapist and a psychotherapist, and he is an NLP master practitioner. So he is coming to us from Hypnologic Solutions, and you're probably all wondering, why on earth is Melissa interviewing a hypnotherapist on the Penis Project? Well, today we're going to find out because there's a whole lot of things that hypnotherapy can do for your penis. So it's going to be a little bit like snake charming today. And so here we are. Welcome, Geordie. Welcome. Welcome, everybody. We also have Kate, who you might remember quite a few episodes now, we interviewed a physio about pelvic pain with Kate. So Kate's a pain specialist nurse practitioner, and we've got her here today because we want to talk all about hypnotherapy and pain. Thank you. So, Geordie, can you tell me what the history of hypnotherapy is? Well, yeah, it goes a long, long way back. In fact, if you go all the way back to Egypt, they had these sleep temples. People would go into a temple, mm-hmm. calm down, lie down, and actually just deeply relax. And they would find they were very beneficial. Probably the more modern history would be from Anton Mesmer, who you would have heard of mesmerism. Yes. He had a feeling that he could influence people through these energies that he thought he had, these animal magnetism. Talking penises there. <laughs> um, and he he could influence people, but there was a lot of um, hysterical influence. In other words, people would groupthink and start to go into particular um, altered states. But they were getting good results. They decided to test him. They sent a person over from from England to test and find out what was going on. And, of course, they couldn't discover anything. Because in terms of um, scientific 
evidence. It's only just become recently understood what happens in the brain when people enter what we might call a trance state. It's not sleep, it's not being awake, but it is a, an, a, a trance in that our brainwave patterns actually slow back down to the patterns that we have when we're about four or five. So theta and alpha. These are the slow brainwave patterns when we're children and we learn by absorption. There is no critical factor, everything just goes in. So when we do uh, hypnotherapy, we go back to that very, very slow brainwave pattern and then we can put in suggestions. They're always the person's suggestions, nobody else's, so that they can actually go through to that unconscious part of the brain that's driving the patterns. Okay, so mm. it's kind of like training your brain in a new way. Is that right? Um I try to avoid using the word brain okay. because we get locked into the one that's in our head. Okay. The model that I use has three brains. One's in the in the gut, the enteric brain. The other one's the cardiac brain. The other one's the cephalic brain. And we're talking about the area that we're talking about now. The gut brain uh, has a role in the way that we operate within the world and it's about uh, our identity and our boundaries. So if you have something that offends you deeply, so crosses a boundary you'll get a gut response. And people will tell you in their language, that mm. person gives me the shits. There's a gut brain <laughs> language. Great, yeah? yeah. But when we're talking about uh, changes to identity all through life, we have changes and challenges. We become sing from single, we may become with a partner, we may have children. And each time we do that or change a new job or lose a particular function in our body, that challenges our identity. And that mm. has a deep-seated effect within people, especially in the area of prostate cancer, sexual performance. We're now talking about something that is deeply a part of their, their whole way of being. Mm. And so dealing with that is not a cognitive approach. Yeah, so I You're suppose... dealing with an emotive or limbic process. Yeah. So cognitive processing is a very, very slow way to try and help with that. Oh, okay, so that makes a lot of sense. So it's like when we say, oh, this thing ha bad thing happened and it turned my stomach, yes. that's also, yeah. that's your gut. Yeah. Your yeah. gut feeling. And so there's a really high rate of depression in people with sexual dysfunction due to pelvic pain or prostate mm. cancer or any other kind of mm. um, pelvic treatments. And so hypnotherapy is just a different way of dealing with that. You can deal with depression in that area as well. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. And what about and anxiety? Is, there, is that effective? Also effective because these are driven, you know, those depressive moods, those depressive and or anxious feelings are driven from our limbic system. You'll notice I'm touching my heart here because nobody wants to be depressed. Nobody thinks I'll be anxious today. Mm. But it comes on from this limbic processing. It's so fast. And if you understand anything about the polyvagal theory, these are coming up from old, old responses within the body. And often with people who um, get that response quickly, like a uh, PTSD, they'll go, oh, that was silly. Mm -hmm. The cognitive brain is catching up. It's way slower in terms of that. The body has responded really, really rapidly and quickly. I don't use the words depression or anxiety. I just use energy. So your body gives you energy. There's a challenge or a threat it doesn't know about, and it's going to give you adrenaline. It's going to give you cortisol. You're going to mm -hmm. get a sensation in your body. We have over time given a... a a code or a name to that sensation, we might call it anxiety. It's just energy. Anxiety has such a negative connotation mm. to it. But anxiety is absolutely normal and natural. Mm -hmm. If the saber-toothed tiger was running after you, your body gives you energy to run away. Yeah, and I think that's really misunderstood in, in like the term of 
anxiety is that actually we all need a bit of anxiety because if we weren't anxious about things, we would put ourselves in danger and we wouldn't actually achieve anything either because thinking I'm going to be late. I mean, I was late to meet you today and Mm. I felt anxious, but that's Mm. good anxiety. Otherwise I would have been sitting around taking my time and I would have been even later. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. But anxiety tends to be forward directed. And anxious thoughts tend to be forward orientated. So the person who can't go to sleep because they are thinking about what happened, what what might happen tomorrow, or what haven't I done, that tends to be that anxious kind of thinking. And the body doesn't know a th- the difference between real and imagined. So mm-hmm. if I said, Melissa, here's a beautiful slice of lemon, I want you to imagine putting that in your mouth and sucking on it right now, what happens inside your mouth? I'm screwing up my face and thinking, <laughs> ugh, that's it's okay. gross. It's, it's not real. <laughs> but your body doesn't know. Yeah. The same as if you're thirsty and, and your body goes, all right, what do I do for thirst? Here's a drink of water. Immediately, um, you're not thirsty. It waits for a sensory confirmation. Mm-hmm. Now, if you think about anxiety, that is not in the present. Something's coming up. The body goes, well, I don't know what you're worried about. It must be a threat. So here's some adrenaline. Here's some cortisol. Mm-hmm. And you don't resolve it. You don't, you know, turn off the, the signal that there's a lemon coming. You don't do anything. And the body goes, well, I'm still, I'm still I think, under threat. So it heightens it even more, even more. Okay. And you know, once you get that cortisol in your mind, in your body, the brain goes fuzzy, your eyes start to look for an exit. You can't hear a prosodic voice. You can only hear the danger sounds, you know, mm-hmm. and your body gets all you know, ready, for, ready for action. Mm-hmm. So can sure. this be the same if there's, um, you've got triggers for pain? So if you sit down, it's going to hurt. When you walk into a room and you know there's a chair sitting there, can that... Can you not turn the trigger off, but can you suggest ways of the brain not heightening? Absolutely. And often it's about the part of the body that is seeing that as still a threat. Mm. It may be, and, and probably with chronic pains, a good example is uh, it's a bit like fire alarm's gone off, been a bit of a mm. fire. Fireys have come, put the fire out, might even renovated the house, but nobody's gone back and reset the fire alarm. Mm. It's still running on an old story. And people can have an old story running, a default mode running for years and years and years, 20-odd years, mm. but it's actually not true. And when you can work out a way to talk to that unconscious mind that's driving it, because it will bargain with you, it does understand, it just turns it off or mm. certainly turns it down Cause really quickly. Because we see a lot of chronic pain at um, or Fremantle or Fiona Stanley and it would often be the actual trigger that caused it. It might be a car accident or something like that, but it often would be years and years of whether it be abuse or stress or distress, but it would be the fine, it would be like the camel that would break the straws back the other way around. (laughs) You know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, Yeah. poor poor camel, that's all I'm (laughs) reading. But also it can, because it's used all the time, it becomes the default for any sort of pain. So I see something else that stresses me, oh, my back goes. And it becomes that, that you know, it's like a main road through that that particular pain process through through the mind, because we know when that's it's triggered with emotion as well that heightens it because it goes through that limbic system and it, it was a way of actually us remembering more clearly to change our behaviour. Mm. You know, if you think of the prehistoric days, if Brian disappeared in a flash of red with a growly monster, we <laughs> we remember that noise and we got an emotional sense to that sound, so that any time we heard that growling, we ran away. At locked in a behaviour. So when you've got a pain behaviour, pain, you know, pattern might be a body thing as well on the triggers, it gets really locked in. Every time somebody worries about it, they dig a deeper groove 
in the record. Mm. So we need to change the record. Mm. And often that is about reframing the whole thing around pain. As you know now the, with the, the Laura Mosley people now about their studies that, you know, pain is not a signal of tissue damage. It's a signal, you know, protection, that sort of stuff. And so you can use that somatic tracking or you can use other ways of going, it's actually not dangerous. You're not in danger. Where is the saber-toothed tiger? It's not there. So we work through um, to enable people to feel comfortable and safe. So we're sort of thinking, say if we get someone into our clinic with a woman, let's say we have a lady in and she has pain with sex Mm. and that pain might be because they have vaginal atrophy and then um, Kate sees them and she sends them off to a a pelvic health physiotherapist and the actual physical problem is fixed. But then it's like every time they think about having sex, they, that pain comes back, even though when we look at the vaginal tissues, they're mm. much better mm. and the pelvic floor isn't over tight or anything like that. That's this, this kind of record groove and that's yeah. where someone like yourself would come in yeah. and be able to retrain that. Is that correct? Well, we'd be looking at this, the original story. What was happening when that started to get painful? Mm-hmm. What was the identity shift? Because now they're not feeling like, you know, sensuous or attractive or whatever. So there's a whole identity shift within that. And moving back into that scary area um, takes a, a fair bit of courage. So we need to talk to them in terms of courage, in terms of safety and compassion, rather than it's just a sexual act. It's actually much more a connection with their partner. Mm-hmm. And how do, I, how, do they, how do they feel safe? How do they feel courageous in doing things that they may not have done for a long time? Because their body has a very quick protection mechanism and it goes, you don't want to go there. Mm. And, it, and it protects them. Um, and it, sometimes it becomes counterproductive because they want to be there, but this is a whole pattern that they're not too sure how to shift. So no amount of information is going to help because it's cognitive mm. information, but this is this is emotional processing. And how do we get them back to feeling comfortable within themselves? Because I think there's a lot of frustration for people, and I don't know if you find this, Kate, but when they have a problem like something like this and then they get sent to a psychologist that uses talk therapy. Mm. It's like talk therapy can't take away that 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 ingrained feeling, you know. Mm. So yeah. if you've been in a war zone, every time you hear a loud bang, your brain is going to hear a gunshot, even if it might be a book smacking. Mm. But it doesn't matter how many times you talk about that with a psychologist, for example, mm. you can't undo that, can you? So do you find that, Kate, with pain? I find that with pain and also in GP land. So, to be honest, Geordie, I have not met a hypnotherapist before. So, the only sort of benefit we have had recently is psychologists that specialise in EMDR, which is rapid eye movement. And they explain it as in, not the limbic, they explain it as the reptilian brain that they need to go back to what the initial trigger was. And to be honest, some of the patients that have had ongoing mental health issues we've actually they've been able to go back whatever the trigger was from when they were a child or whatever and they then seem to be able to move forward where the cbt they've been doing for years and it's not touched the surface yeah well it's a, you know the limbic brain is a, is has, it has three responses to to threat immobilization evacuation and dissociation whether that physical or, or emotional so the the you know tightening up the pelvic floor muscles and a very very deep seated response evacuation which may be constipation or diarrhea or this dissociation which is I'm not here or it didn't even happen to me 
are really they're the they're the lowest. If you think of the polyvagal theory, that's mm. the that's the reptilian brain. Now, a lot of those responses um, are developed when when people are very very young because they don't have the cognitive capacity to deal with why. Mm. They don't have the they can't run away. They can't you know fight or flight doesn't happen because I live here and I'm supposed to be loved by this person or whatever. So they they get stuck with that limbic brain response. And do you, I mean, this is just a personal experience with one of my patients, you know, you're taught, oh, you need help and you need drugs and, you you know, multidisciplinary and then we ended up sending it to a psychologist and, man, Pandora's box opened up with a bang Hmm. and then we, it was so hard. I didn't realise the depth of the trauma. So you slowly work through with these people that if the pain's been at the end of a... A long journey? Um, I tend not to go back into the past. Okay. So the process that I use is, is um, solution-focused. So you've brought me your past. You've lived it. You don't want to go over that again. I don't need to re-traumatise you. In fact, mm. that's the last thing I'd want to do. Mm. There may be some learnings there, but we'll do it in a very gentle and, and careful way so you are not re-traumatising. You brought it to the present. But if we stuck with those two, we're never going to move to the future. So my, you know, in the middle of my discussion will be, so what is it that you want? What's your goal? And then I'm listening very, very carefully to the words. Because if they have chronic pain and they say, well, I don't want pain, my question would be, why would you use the word or the very thing you don't want in your goal? Mm. So I shift the language. So if you don't have pain, what do you have? You have comfort. So what takes you towards comfort? So we move from an away kind of model to a towards model. Mm. And now we build that. So if you're comfortable and moving really well, what else will happen? What will you see different? So we, we draw out and create a really, really attractive, comfortable future rather than trying to deny a past or, you know, get rid of a past because we're still focusing on it if that's the way we operate. So hypnotherapy tends to be drawing out or clinical hypnotherapy the more modern way of doing it is not going back and you know and regressing people back to that age and re-traumatizing them that is a technique that is used occasionally but there are other ways to do that that doesn't re-traumatize the person enables them to go back as an older wider wiser self and give themselves a hug or whatever it is that enables them to change their response to the memory so this is this is complete layman's because I've only ever seen you know how to hypnotise your chukit. Anyway, <laughs> I was thinking the, about that, too. Yes. and I'm sure everyone yes, else is thinking and stuff. So um, when you walk in and and so say for um, example, I'm anxious and I'm not really sure why I'm anxious and I don't understand why I've got pain. Yeah. Do you, does my subconscious talk not talk to you? But when I'm in that state, hypnot or trance state. Is that when you start to, I start to verbalise or I start to identify areas? Not, not, generally we will do an interview process first and then you just shut up and enjoy yourself. Because yeah. I'm always talking to your unconscious mind. It's about being, a, a really good hypnotherapist is hypnotic. They draw your attention, they use, you know, certain techniques like pauses. <laughs> <laughs> so people go, what's coming next? I'm very careful with my language so that I'm taking that person all the time, small reframes, small reframes. So what would you notice? How would that be? And I'm projecting them forward all the time. But also you'll notice that my tone of voice starts to slow, starts to become calm. So the person starts to relax mm. anyway. 
And when we move into, um, if we're going to do a hypnotic component, I'll just say, look, you may find it a little bit easier to let your eyes gently close. That is a permissive way of doing it rather than saying close your eyes, mm. which is directive. And they go, oh, all right. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm only, I'm just taking through a, a you know, gentle induction, my, my use your breathing, something simple like that. And then I'll have a number of things that I've picked up that I want to talk to them about. So they may have that anxiety we'll talk about. They maybe have a low tolerance to ambiguity. They want to know what's going to happen next. And so we'll do a little bit of story about life because it's the most ambiguous thing you can ever <laughs> ever experience. And if it's about a deep personal thing, then we'll talk about all the changes they've been able to make over their lives and how clever they've been to do that and adapt. And again, we're projecting that forward and drawing those resources out and, and allowing them to actually draw their own stuff. When you're doing hypnotherapy, you don't do it on a person. You do it with a person. Mm. Because hypnosis is the easy bit. The therapy is done by the person themselves. So, so they might. will remember when, oh, this is again the chook thing, but if they come out of it, if they were hypnotised in a trance, if they open their eyes, will they remember the whole session? Generally they can hear everything I'm saying. Mm. There's suggestions that, that some might put in, like you can remember to forget or forget to remember if you wish. That's more of a com- confusion technique for the, for the conscious mind. But generally we are actually sometimes bringing the person in and out of that that relaxed state to go what are you noticing because if i'm using the wrong words for example i want to change it right there some people you know if you said relax they don't tighten up because everybody's told them to relax Mm. you may just use you know smoothing softening calming those sorts of things or you may have a story that you tell them and you notice that they're actually getting a little bit flustered or colors changing in their face so you bring them back out and say what are you noticing and then let them relax again I've actually been hypnotised by a psychotherapist quite a few times, Mm. um, actually by two psychotherapists. One of them was an unpleasant experience Mm. um, just because I went back too far and it wasn't very pleasant. Um, And she was shocked herself and and got me out of it. Um, But the other times it's – I've found that I – and actually every time I've been hypnotised, and I would have thought I wouldn't have been someone who could be hypnotised really, um, I found it really calming. And I could, Kate, remember mm. everything that went on in that session, which is mm. kind of weird mm. because it's like you're conscious but you're not conscious. So you don't feel like, you know, if I had of at any time in those sessions been told to dance like a chook, I don't reckon I would have. <laughs> um, no, and, it's, and that's not, that's not, if you think of the stage hypnosis, you know, mm. people have gone along to a show. Mm. They've willing them, willingly put themselves up on stage knowing they're going to be asked to do something mm. a little bit silly. Mm. And he's done a couple or she has done a couple of things to check on compliance, you know, put your hands together and poke your fingers up, those sorts of things. And then suggestibility, notice that your fingers are going together, big magnets on your fingers. So they know the people that have gone up on stage are both compliant and suggestible. Yeah. Because 99% of it's done. Mm. Whereas we're working with people with deep-seated challenges, mm. so we need to be very, very mindful how we do what we do. But one of the processes we, we will always do is sometimes referred to as post-hypnotic suggestion or in the NLP it's future pacing. So at the end of the session, part of it will be just notice as you take those skills forward how much more comfortable you feel. Imagine you know, two months in the future you're going to be walking around feeling comfortable and moving easily. And this is setting up that person's unconscious mind to start working towards that goal when they walk out. Mm-hmm. So you'd never go, righto, thanks very much, it's all finished. You always subtly 
giving them this post-hypnotic suggestion, so they will start to notice things, start to do things differently. So, so it never stops. Yeah. An example that that so given the pelvic pain example, what about a young guy who has premature ejaculation? So I always give them the example that you know it might happen to you once, and then after that's happened. The next time you go to have sex, you think, oh, I hope that's not going to happen again. So straight away you go into flight and flight, fright, flight and fright. Um, and you get this big rush of adrenaline and cortisol and adrenaline is kryptonite to what kryptonite is to Superman to erection. So it goes down. So it's kind of this self-fulfilling prophecy. Mm, yeah. And then it just keeps going. Yeah. So in the instance of someone like that, if they came to have hypnotherapy, how, how would that work? Well, again, I'd be finding out what the story was. It may have been their first experience. It may have been, you know, a different partner. It may have been or something alcohol might have caused mm-hmm. issues with it as well. But there'll be generally a time when they don't. And there'll be generally an experience when they actually have experienced it well. And so we go from the fight, flight to fight, flight, flow. Uh-huh. How do we use that energy? It's like somebody gets anxiety. How do you make it useful? It's great. Your body's giving you energy. So how do we distract that person from the, you know, the mindset or the loop that he's gone into and use that energy. You know, do you go back to more foreplay? Do you go back to other things where you can use that energy and shift the attention? Go back to more sensory, go back to more touch rather than this thing that's building up in their mind. Mm. And really imagine, sometimes you take them after the event and go, what's it going to be like when you're really calm and relaxed and you can hug and do that stuff? You know, the guy gets, you know, carried away with performance, but it's much more than just that particular bit. So take the pressure off that for a start Yeah. by even going past it. Yeah, okay. That's and a so good that idea. actually takes, oh, we're not worried about that. It's actually the hugging and kindness afterwards, you know. Take the importance yeah, away. Because yeah. one of the things I would say to a guy in that situation is find something in this situation that you can really focus on, such as... I don't know, the feel of someone's skin or something mm, like that. Yeah. And then if you're focusing on that, being mindful about that, mm. you're less likely to be thinking about, oh, my God, is this going to happen too fast? Yeah. Um, mm. But, you know, that's still, it's, it's, it's in your conscious, not your subconscious, whereas you're really taking them into that realm from the subconscious mind. Yeah. Is yeah, that right? Yeah. And yeah. saying, you know, um, come back to the present a little bit on this because what you're experiencing is, you know, really right now, your imagination is a bit like that anxiety, a bit like sucking on a lemon. Not you'd want to do that while you're having sex. but um, <laughs> Some people your, would. <laughs> your, your mind has gone into another place and you're worried about that now. It's not yeah. actually real. Not until that happens. And now you create it because you're actually, you know, you're, you're creating that forward direction. If we can change that a little bit and just get you right back to you know, breathing, calming down, enjoying the moment, all that sort of stuff, you're taking them back to the present. Mm. Your body does not know what's real or imagined. If you start imagining it, it's going to start creating it. So we start to get that imagination of having, you know, a, a better performance, a longer performance, all that sort of stuff. So they can start to get the experience of that being real. Yeah, and that's okay. really what hypnotherapy does. It gives you a change experience. Mm. We don't give you books. We don't give you, you know, unsolicited advice. If I was you, I'd do this. We say, what will it be like as you are? experiencing this differently and really get that through their whole system. And the patient will give you the words that they want? Generally, yeah. Mm. Generally when you ask them, what's your goal? They're the best ones to use because there's no resistance. Mm. Yeah. So is it a little bit like 
if someone has, you know, I hear about these on podcasts all the time, like if someone has really wants something, they print a picture of it, stick it on their fridge. So, you know, you want a new car, you stick it on your fridge or you want whatever. So you're kind of almost believe, imagining what it's like driving that car or having that amazing physique that you didn't have before and then somehow that, you know, this is very simple obviously of what you do, but is that kind of it? Like you're well, sort it, of changing it, it, your... It's in there. It's creating that future memory that you're working towards. Mm-hmm. You know, when, you, when you talk about having the perfect body, you know, people look at bodybuilders and they generally go, how vain are they looking in the mirror? Mm-hmm. They're creating an image that they're working towards in their body, both physically and mentally, to get that to the perfect shape. So they are creating an image that they're working towards. So if you don't have an image that you're working towards, you're working away from something, it's stuck. Yeah. Okay. So we need to free them up and go, what's it going to be like? What's it going to feel like? What's it going to sound like? And we go right back up to all the senses mm-hmm. because in fact all our, all our emotions, all our states are created in a sensory way first. You know, we learn love by being picked up, held first as a baby. Then there's warmth. Then there's maybe a little bit of sound and then whatever else. And then we get a concept that we call care and love, but it's created through sensation. Mm. So if we go back to the sensation, how does that feel? Yeah, okay. How nice does that feel? How calm does that feel? And we can bring in those things rather than going, you know, anxiety, Ooh, suddenly you're all gone off. But we can break anxiety down into is it hot or cold? Is it heavy or light? Is it, you know, rough or smooth? And once you break it down into its sensory components, it loses it's power. It's interesting, actually, because I'm just thinking about how wet and cold it's been lately. And for me, when I think about the feeling of sun on my skin and sand on a beach, mm. to me, that's happiness. Yeah. And so that is definitely a sensation that I associate with being happy. Can you think of something like that, Kate? Like a feeling that is actually got a sensation? Not off the top of my head, no. Well, if somebody, <laughs> if somebody feels anxious, I'll say, where do you feel anxious? I don't go, why? Yeah. I never ask why. I say, how do you do that? Where do you feel it? Oh, I feel it in my chest. Okay. Let's yeah. imagine inviting it out and having a look at it. What does it look like? Mm. So we'll get colour, we'll get shape, we'll get size, we'll get weight. And then I'll say, right, I want you to spin it the other way. And then notice, I'll always ask a little funny question in the middle, like, what's your favourite colour? Mm. Then I'll get it to spin it the other way and notice their colour, their calm colour coming in the middle, spinning all the way out, mm. eventually changing its shape. I'll make it a bit lighter, you know, all that sort of stuff. Then they put that back in. And then they learn that they've created that whole state themselves. Wow. And they can go back into that state? Yeah, they leave it there. Yeah. But you ask them, what, can you bring out that sensation again? They can't bring out the old ones. It's already changed. Wow. So how many sessions does someone you know, usually need? Like an av- I know that's Three tricky. to four. Okay. Three to four. Right. Wow. If, in, if they're not moving three to four sessions, then we need to be changing what we're doing. Okay. Yeah. You know, especially if it's this, you know, PTSD of two to three sessions because you're working straight at that limbic process. Yeah, okay. This way down takes a lot longer. Yeah. Okay. And then, so prostate cancer guys, what, what do you see them for? What sort of thing would they come to you for? Mostly about performance or, 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 you know, maybe there's pain associated with that or there may be, um, you know, bladder urgency or actually incontinence. Okay. And that becomes a huge issue in terms of your personality. If suddenly, you know, you walk around, you can't go with your mates because, you know, you're wearing nappies all the time. Yeah. That is a really deep-seated change to your identity. Mm. So that's where we're working. How can you still be a male in this, you know, thing that was a 
big part of your whole life um, and identity is no longer functioning the same way. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So in that instance, it's not really about changing the function. It's more about how your subconscious mind and you personally deal with the change. Exactly, yeah. So yeah. what's your response to that? Yeah. And after we're dealing to the response to sometimes incorrect information too. Yeah. You know, you'll be fine in six months and you won't be leaking or whatever, which yeah, you no. think, okay, that's a bit of a challenge. Yeah. So there's disappointment, there's fear, a lot of fear. Mm-hmm. Will this ever get better? Um, and a lot of, you know, just genuine change into their their whole way of being. Yeah, that's great. Have mm. you got any other examples or questions that you could ask her? No, unfortunately, but I'm dying to – I know I'm going to come back after and go, I wish I asked him <laughs> this. So we might do an edit at the end when I remember. I've got one other question about abandonment. So something that I see a bit of is people – in relationships or not in relationships that have had been previously abandoned mm. or their perception is they've been abandoned, whether it be by a parent or yeah. a partner yeah. or something like that. And that might be because they were left or the person died or mm. whatever it is. And then there's this fear about being too close to other people. Yeah. And I imagine is that just listening to you now, I'm thinking – is that something that where you can take that person to a relationship that they haven't felt that way and then they can imagine what a what is actually possible in the future in other relationships? Is this something that would help with that? Well, if you think of abandonment, then the other side of that coin is attachment. Yeah. And really, it's a, they often abandon themselves. Mm-hmm. So they have a sense of being abandoned, but they are not actually connecting deeply with themselves either. So it really depends on the story, depends on how that was, was developed because the, the abandoned may have been completely misconstrued. Mm-hmm. I had a guy in his 80s who, had, who thought he'd been abandoned by his parents when he was, I think, five. He was very, very ill and he was left in a room and they w- weren't allowed to come in. He wasn't allowed to come out until he realised when we went through it that that was the instruction of the doctor. It's nothing to do with the, the parents at all. Mm. They desperately wanted to come in. So his perception of what was happening was completely, you know, um, incorrect. But he abandoned himself. And that would have at like about twenty-five shaped yeah. his whole life. Wouldn't yeah, it? yeah, yeah, yeah. So he had some really interesting patterns that were done. So often that there's trying really, really hard to to seek um, appreciation and love and all that stuff again, but never really being satisfied with that. This makes me think of. Uh of a guy that I've seen um, not that long ago, actually, and if he's listening, I'm going to email you Geordie's details. But um, <laughs> he's quite a youngish guy or, or you know, late 30s. And um, he has always felt this, like, disconnect with his family and yeah. never really understood why. And recently he found out that as a child his mum got quite unwell and he had to yeah. go and um, be brought up for about a year of his very early, like in his toddler times, yeah. by his grandparents. And then he went back to his family. He doesn't actually remember that. Yeah. But he feel, when he found out that happened, he feels, oh, that's the reason that I feel abandoned and mm. not connected to the rest of my family. His other siblings were older so they yeah. didn't need yeah. as much care. And he feel, he just wants to know the details of why that happened, but he kind of can't move past that feeling of abandonment even though he's since found out there's actually a reason for it. Yeah, And yeah. And this could be something where he could 
hypnotherapy would help him, wouldn't it? Because that might be able to reshape that in his head. Well, help him reconnect with himself because it's the sensation that he's responding to. It's not a cognitive problem there. Mm. And generally things that are, you know, those patterns that develop before the age of four or five when the brainwave patterns are really low, um, they aren't actually consciously recalled. They are somatically or sensory recalled. So they'll be that very early fear, the very early sort of patterns in their body. And I'll find people that at 45, 50, 60 are doing four-year-old patterns mm. because that was the one that stuck and kept them safe there. And, it, and it's, you know, morphed into slightly different ways, but mm-hmm. often the body will still retain those patterns. Right. So can you just, I know it sounds like you can deal with lots of things, but would you be able to list off like the main kind of people that could, could come and see you? I imagine you go for it. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can kind of work with, with most things, but I prefer ones that are a little bit more complex. Um, pelvic health is often obviously an area I have an interest in mm-hmm. and the emotional challenges associated with, with that, whether it be male or female, um, there are always, there's no such thing as a physical thing and your body doesn't have an emotional response. And dealing with that is very, very key to help that whole person move together in a holistic way. Mm-hmm. Whether it's a major catastrophe or or minor, people will, you know, they'll determine which way they want to respond to that. So things around the pelvic health, things around your emotional state, things around people get overwhelmed and I deal a lot with that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. It's normally because they've got either an overestimation of their capacity and an underestimation of the challenge or an underestimation of their capacity and overestimation of the challenge so you know they 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 get all confused and don't know really where to go so there are strategies we use then which is compartmentalizing how do you break things in a little bits or Mm -hmm. you know what do they bring me i can use i don't tend to bring resources out of the blue i'll use what the person brings to me so if a person comes to me and they say i'm really anxious and i'll go fantastic that's a skill let's (laughs) let's use it how do we utilize that in a way that I'm not denying what they do and trying to change them, you know, an alcoholic to a, to a non-drinker. So you're really good at focusing on something. You're really good at utilising this. How do we do that? How do we use it? So do they have to be receptive to the change? I mean, obviously they normally are if they're coming to you because they're coming for help. Yeah. But say if their wife said, oh, unless you can get a heart, I'm, I'm, that's it, I might. <laughs> and he's not interested... Moving, moving away from that particular one, there are, there are four, you know, there are four stages of change. There's pre-contemplative, which is the person doesn't even know there is a problem and they'll yeah. deny it. It's yeah. not a problem for me. Yeah. There's contemplative where they'll say, yeah, I think it's a problem, but I'm not really prepared to do anything about it. And then there's ready to change and they'll go, yep, there's a problem. I need to do something about it. And then there's maintenance. So we go through, make the change. And on the maintenance side, there's almost always a relapse okay. where they'll flick back oh, I had another drink or something else happened, et cetera. And you go, that's absolutely normal. If your body's been doing a pattern for 20-odd years or whatever, it's really good at it. Mm. So it's going to resist change because it's its default. So let's go back and reinforce, you know, find different ways to do that. Mm. So, yeah, if the person says, my wife told me to come and talk to you about, you know, whatever, I'll say, send the wife. Send the wife? Yeah, she's the one who wants to change, not you. (laughs) 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 And you do often find that people start to realise a lot of their issues are more relationship-based than physical-based. Yeah, so it could really be, I've come to see you because my partner's told me they're not going to leave me if I don't stop smoking. But in my heart of hearts, I actually never want to stop smoking. That's not going to work. It's only going to be if they're in that phase of, 
I really would like to stop smoking because my relationship is way more important to me and I can see that this isn't healthy for me. Or, yeah, yeah. yeah. Or, you know, I've got painful parts but it's actually really functional. Yeah. it means that I'm not having sex and I really don't want to. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Or there's something else that needs to be resolved in that relationship before that level of intimacy is going to be achieved. Yeah, and I definitely find that when I'm talking to couples, you mm. know, they'll often come in with mismatched libidos. Yeah. It's never about a mismatched libido. It's no. always about something else that has turned someone's libido off usually. Yeah. yeah. Um, and when we get to the bottom of that, then we can help with that. I mean, sometimes it's a physical thing, but usually yeah. 20% of it I think is physical and 80% of it is what else is going on in that relationship. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, and we end up spending a lot more time talking than we do ordering blood tests and things like that, which I think people expect, you know, expect to come. Yeah. And we yeah. do do that as well, but I think they, they do expect Yeah, it. yeah. Yeah. This has been great. Have you oh. thought of anything else yet or have you... No, I'm still in shock. I think I think he's he's trancing me with his voice. Yeah, <laughs> you've been hypnotised from the start. <laughs> I've been wondering about that. I just think he, we're both probably going to book in now. <laughs> so, if well, it's the best way to find out is to actually book in and come along and experience a session. Yeah, because you just don't know. You know, when I go to physio practices, I'll generally offer all the staff a free session. So, mm. if they've come and experienced a session, they're much much more likely to to uh, recommend people go. Mm. And I mean, it takes, you know, away, it makes takes sense. away the fear factor as yeah, well. Yeah, it, it does because unfortunately, all you do is see them at the you know at the Perth Festival hypnotising chooks and stuff, and yeah. it gives you guys a bad rap. So yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a bit of a challenge. For yeah, us, but. yeah. Mm. I know. Um, I had the most recent time I've had a series of hypnotherapy. It's been around sleep. Yeah, and. It was absolutely excellent. Terrible sleeper. It really changed that. Yeah, and yeah. just talking to you today because it's been quite a few months since I've rejigged that. I've mm. been sleeping really bad the last couple of weeks. Oh, okay. And yeah. I'm thinking, you know, I do you need... need maintenance. I need maintenance hypnotherapy because it really did definitely help. Like, mm. and gave me some techniques where I thought, hang on, what am I doing here? Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, it was great. I found it really, really helpful. And also I kind of felt a bit like a Buddhist monk each time I came out of a session, which is very <laughs> unlike me, isn't it, Kate? Mm. Yeah. Because I'm usually like yeah. a, a mouse on a wheel. Now, I need to make sure some people have a bit of time to crank up before they jump in their car because mm. they do feel very, very relaxed. Relaxed is a, is a side product of it. It isn't the intent of it. Mm. You just do feel very, very relaxed afterwards. Yeah. And, and your you heart are, You are working through a lot of things, so you're mm. in a little bit of a phase. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. So, as I said earlier, we've got Hypnologic Solutions, Geordie Thompson here today, and I will put all his details in the show notes. Oh, one other question. Do you offer Zoom, like online? Yes. Yeah, yep, yeah. you do. Yeah, oh, because yeah. we've got lots of people um, from overseas who listen. Yeah, so yeah. Um, please don't be thinking if you're not in Western Australia that this is not available to you because it certainly is and um, – the sessions that I've personally done in the past have been with someone in the Eastern States and so because mm. um, I didn't know that Geordie was just around the corner. So. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> yeah. So thank you so much oh, thank you. for coming. We really appreciate it and um, hopefully lots of people have opened up their mind and yeah. uh, like Kate and I aren't thinking that it's all about chooks and pulling funny <laughs> faces. chooks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. got a bad rap, the chooks. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much. No, thank you. Thank you. Tell you about a boy who lives inside me. He's been there 
all of my life. Hi, I'm Melissa and I hope you enjoyed the podcast this week. Just a reminder, if you've been diagnosed with prostate cancer, I've built a penile rehabilitation program just for you. It's an online program packed with information, exercises and advice along with proven strategies that will get your penis back in working order as quickly as possible in about 15 minutes a day. If you like the sound of that, then please head over to penilerehabilitationprogram.com and you can start straight away or there's a link from the RS Health website. We would also love you to review and subscribe and share this podcast so we can help more men. Links to Instagram and Facebook are in the show notes. We look forward to seeing you there. So spread the word that help is available. All the best for now. Bye. I've got a boy of my own now. It fills me with pride to see him growing so fast into a man.